Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Friday, December 11th. Disney's stock is up, stimulus hopes are down, thanks to Mitch McConnell, and we're focused on the past, present, and future of coronavirus testing. America right now is in the grips of the worst COVID-19 outbreak since the pandemic began. More than 107,000 Americans are currently hospitalized with the virus, and there have been more than 3,000 deaths in each of the past two days, which had never happened before. And for context, more people died yesterday from COVID-19 than died from the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And just think about that for a minute. If you remember 9-11, think about how much death there was. We had that yesterday. We'll have that today and likely tomorrow as well. They say it's always darkest before the dawn, and that might be what we're experiencing with expectations that the FDA could approve Pfizer's vaccine any minute. But the stark reality is that society will need to deal with COVID-19 even after vaccinations begin, particularly given that the vaccines have only been shown to reduce the risk of getting sick, not of transmitting the virus to others who haven't yet been vaccinated. What that also means is that testing will continue to be a vital piece of the public health and getting us back to school and work and, you know, life. We've obviously come a long way from the early days of testing when even finding a place to get one was tough and results could take up to a week, but the volume of people getting tested remains extraordinarily high. LabCorp, for example, says it's performing more than 1 million PCR tests per week. So we wanted to better understand the state of testing with LabCorp CEO Adam Schechter and understand the stresses the system is under and where things go from here. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by LabCorp chairman and CEO, Adam Schechter. So Adam, let's start here. What percentage of your lab techs, I guess, are devoted to COVID-19 testing, or is it not really organized that way? We're not organized exactly by the number of people in each lab running COVID tests. There are three different parts to doing COVID tests. One is getting the sample. That's typically done in a physician's office or at a drive-through. The second is once it gets to our laboratories, we do the extraction process. It takes around 30 minutes. We use heat to do that. And then it goes into the analysis where we look for the DNA. And that process takes somewhere around four hours. If you look at our laboratories, we're running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I would say there's thousands of people at various points in time during the day that are working on those tests, but they don't necessarily only work on those tests. You know, over the year, I assume, you know, at least since March, you guys have learned a lot, particularly in terms of ramping up. Are you a much bigger company right now in terms of people because you do have this new virus and all these tests that you never had to run before? Yeah, so we're running, as I said, 270,000 of these tests per day. But to give that context, we typically run 530 million tests per year. So we are a very large central laboratory business, and we have laboratories all across the United States. We're running these tests in 20 different laboratories. We've had to add some people to each of those laboratories to help in various ways. But this is what LabCorp is built to do, which is to run testing on large scales. We're obviously seeing a surge right now in terms of tests, in terms of infections, in terms of hospitalizations, et cetera. Is it your expectation that the number of tests are going to continue to rise for the next couple of months, particularly as we kind of still deal with the byproduct of Thanksgiving and head into Christmas? So the short answer is yes. But the interesting thing is back in the September, October timeframe, we were able to do about 210,000 tests per day. We were only running about 100,000 tests per day. 
we continue to build additional capacity to prepare for what could happen around Thanksgiving. The good news is the week before Thanksgiving, when we saw the initial start of a surge, we were able to run 270,000 tests a day and our turnaround time stayed at one to two days. So we had built enough capacity to get through that surge. Right now, for the last two weeks, it's slightly less than what we saw the week before Thanksgiving, but we're still building more capacity because we want to be prepared for whatever could happen at Christmas or New Year's timeframe. One of the things that's been talked a lot about at COVID, particularly in the early days, was that people you know, were no longer going in for regular checkups for things that were maybe even more important. Has LabCorp seen a decrease in the number of other tests being ordered, you know, fewer cholesterol tests, say, in October 2020 than in October 2019? Yeah, that's a very important point. Uh, if you go back to March when the outbreak first started in the United States, our base business, meaning our tests outside of COVID, was down about 55%. If you look at where we were in the last month or so, it's about down 9 or 8%. So we've seen a recovery. So more people are going back for their typical tests, but it's still not at the level that it was at this time last year. LabCorp on Thursday morning announced an over-the-counter COVID test, which I, and I think I'm correct in saying, I would buy this, I would do the actual test at home, and then I would send it to you guys. You would process it, provide me results digitally. Can you give me a sense, how much will this cost? And if I buy it, is it one test? Are there multiple tests? How does it work? We launched our Pixel by LabCorp test a while ago, and basically you can order that online. We would FedEx it to your home. You would then take a nasal swab and send it back to us. We'd get you the results back in one to two days. It's been very effective. Nobody has paid out-of-pocket upfront costs. We've basically charged the insurance company or an uninsured fund that's available, and nobody has to pay out-of-pocket costs for those. Yesterday, we announced that that same test, the Pixel by LabCorp test, has been approved without the need for a prescription, meaning that we can now make it available in retail and other distribution ways to make it more accessible to people. We're working on that with several retailers right now. We're going to work to do everything we can to keep it as we have everything else, where the test itself does not cost anybody anything upfront or out of pocket. There may be some charge. We're working on that based upon distribution channels and so forth. Can you kind of push us forward a little bit? If we get to where we're hoping we're going to get, which is the kind of the beginning of vaccinations in the next couple of weeks, and then maybe more general vaccinations at the end of Q1, beginning of Q2, how do you foresee the continued need for COVID testing, particularly since what we know so far from Pfizer and Moderna is that while you don't get symptoms, most likely if you get their vaccine, they still don't have data yet on transmission? You know, I think, first of all, it's amazing that we've been able to develop a vaccine so fast. And I give a lot of credit to Warp Speed, but also to the pharmaceutical and the biotechnology companies that have done that. And it's certainly a huge turning point in our fight against this virus. With that said, we still hear that about 20 to 30% of people might not get vaccinated and that the vaccine might not work in 10% of people. So it's still a large percentage of the population that we're still going to have to be careful. So even after the vaccine is widely available, we're going to have to wear masks when appropriate. We're going to have to continue to social distance where appropriate until there's herd immunity to the virus. And then we'll be able to get things much more back to normal. In addition to that, we don't know how long the vaccine works yet. And as you said, we don't know if people can still be infectious, just not have symptoms after they get the vaccine. So that's why we're going to have to continue to be very careful. Things that we're looking at, for example, are how long does the vaccine work? Once people get the vaccine, are they immune or are they still infectious? 
Can you tell that by the antibody levels that people have after they're vaccinated? Can you tell it by neutralizing antibodies or total antibodies? Or are there other ways, such as looking at a person's T cells, in order to understand how immune are they and how infectious are they? My sense is that we're going to know a lot more over the next several months than we do today. Is your expectation, though, when you plan out kind of lab corp and operations, that even at this time next year, December of next year, you guys will still be running COVID tests? I believe we'll be running COVID tests. I believe there'll be significantly less than there are today after people are widely vaccinated. But for example, if you've been vaccinated and you still have a fever and chills this time next year, you might wonder, are you one of the 10% that didn't get immunity from the vaccine? So you might want to get a test just to make sure you don't have COVID. So I still think there'll be some testing for PCR, which is tells you if you have the vaccine this time next year. What we don't know yet is what is the role of antibody testing and or T-cell testing. If the vaccine works for multiple years, you might want to do something like a titer test to see how immune is the person to the virus from the vaccine. So those types of tests, we're going to have to see how they play out in the future. I assume there will be a role for some of them. Adam, there's already talk now the vaccination are coming about how certain places, maybe schools, maybe certain businesses, maybe certain shopping places or sports stadiums will require people to prove they have A, either received the vaccine or that they've gotten negative tests basically from LabCorp or a company like LabCorp. Have you had any conversations with either federal or state or local officials about how some sort of verification process would work, how it wouldn't be falsified while still maintaining you know, privacy regulations? Yeah, we've begun those discussions and we announced not that long ago that we were going to work with a company called Clear. That's the company that helps people get through airports and uses a uh, technology that enables you to know that it's them and that they've been validated. And we're going to work with companies like that to ensure that the data that we have is available so that the general public can use it if they choose to use it. I think we have to be very careful of privacy issues here, and we have to work to ensure that everything's done according to law. At the same time, I do believe that there is going to be some type of need to show whether you have been vaccinated or have a negative PCR test, particularly if you're going to travel or if you're going to go, as you say, to large concerts in the future. And we're going to work to make sure our data is available that we have. LabCorp says that the average testing results are now coming back between 24, 48 hours. Obviously, it was a lot longer early in the spring. I'm curious, just from a Monday morning quarterbacking perspective, maybe, would it have been helpful if the Trump administration had used the Defense Production Act, which is the thing they used, for example, to help make lots more ventilators to make more lab equipment? So the short answer is, I don't think there was a way for them to do that. If you look at some of the machines that we use, particularly in the big laboratories like LabCorp, the average size is about the size of a car. And if you run that 24 hours a day, you might be able to do 3,000 samples in a day. So it just gives you a sense of how big and how massive scale is to get to 270,000 where we are right now. I think we could have been brought in earlier. We actually started in March. If we would have been brought in in January or in February, it would have allowed us to start building the capacity even faster. But as I look, we've built the capacity as fast as we possibly can. I don't think there's much we could have done to get bigger machines. I think that the administration, particularly with Admiral Girard, who is the testing czar of the administration, did a great job trying to help us get the supplies that we needed, such as the nasal swabs and the reagents and things even like pipette tips that we've needed. They've done everything they can to try to get that as fast as they can. Adam Schechter, president and CEO, chairman too of LabCorp. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me here. And I wish everybody to be safe over the holidays. 
Please continue to wear your mask, social distance. There's certainly light at the end of the tunnel, but we're right smack in the middle of the tunnel right now. So please be careful as you enjoy the holiday season. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a coming conflict between the Federal Reserve and House Republicans over how to treat climate change risk for Wall Street banks. Specifically, a group of 50 House GOP congressmen wrote a letter to the Fed asking that it not add climate change to the bank stress tests that were put into place after the financial crisis. Now, this comes against the backdrop of banks themselves talking more about climate change as an existential threat and even rolling out some new climate-related lending restrictions. This really could set up an interesting dynamic whereby Wall Street and its federal overseer are aligned, but on the opposite side of a major political party. Today, we're also watching Disney, whose stock is surging to all-time highs after disclosing during a four-hour Investor Day presentation that its Disney Plus streaming service now has nearly 87 million subscribers. That's a just dizzying accomplishment one year after launch and suggests that the mouse views streaming as its future, even after its theme park and cruise businesses return. And finally today, one more reminder that tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, I'll be hosting a Peloton fundraising ride to benefit struggling restaurant workers. In short, more riders equals more money. Thanks to generous donors like DoorDash, Chow Now, Toast, and Cooley. So please get on your bike at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific if you've got a Peloton. And search for the Together We Ride from March 28th, led by Robin. Or just look for others riding under the hashtag Team Axios as we socially distance together to help others. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National Noodle Ring Day. Those are noodles shaped like rings. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.